Today, kids, we bring you a story about a mysterious madman who stalked the streets assaulting random citizens and performing supernatural feats. We also tell you the tale of a lost empire. And I found a double-A battery that will solve the energy crisis around the world. Those stories and more coming up on this episode, which starts now. You're listening to the Mr. Cemetery Show, the podcast that's dedicated to the dark corners of the world. From weird news to historical oddities and the unexplained mysteries. Here's your host, Mr. Cemetery. Hello, and welcome back to the show, you sick, twisted freaks. Thanks for joining us today. This is the Mr. Cemetery Show. I'm Josh. And I'm Krista. If you're new to the show, this podcast is dedicated to all things weird and the creepy, but it's mixed with enough wackiness that you don't have to sleep with your nightlight on. We put out new episodes every Friday, so if you haven't, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an upcoming episode. I'd also like to remind everyone Play-Doh was originally used as wallpaper cleaner. Yes, Play-Doh was intended to be rolled on a dirty wallpaper to clean any dirt off. It didn't work all that well, and after the creator Cleo McVicker died in a plane crash, his son Joseph took over the company. Joseph's sister-in-law ran a nursery school, and she brought the dough in for kids to make ornaments out of. She told Joseph all about it, and it turned into the beloved toy as we know today. Play-Doh is great. It tastes weird. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever tried to clean wallpaper with it, though? I do remember rolling it up the walls. Just I'm not sure why. I just was like little. Maybe forming stuff. Yeah, just rolling it. Hmm. Probably got yelled at for it. I'm sure we got always got yelled at for putting <laughs> stuff on the walls. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I did. Don't do that to the wall. But I do remember it did. You know, pick up dirt and off the table. Seen dirt pick up off the table. Hmm. I've ate it. I've made stuff with it, but I've never tried to clean stuff with it. I've ate it. Homemade Play-Doh's better. Is it? Yeah. Eating wise or cleaning wise? Eating wise. <laughs> <laughs> Had a babysitter. She used to make her own home Play-Dohs. Oh. Ate quite a bit of that. <laughs> no. <laughs> never. <laughs> Not surprised and I've never done that. No. Wow. Learn something new every day here, don't we? <laughs> now, I did use Silly Putty to clean stuff. Silly Putty is awesome. I had more Silly Putty than Play-Doh growing up. Silly Putty was great. Pretty sure rolled it on the wall, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah clean stuff. <laughs> I always put it on comics. I never actually ate Silly Putty, but I remember chewing on it. Yes. I've like, never ate it, but yes, I have it's chewed on it. has got a weird chewy. <laughs> yeah. We are so weird. I know, right? <laughs> weird things you do when you're a kid. Now you know why the way we are, people. <laughs> All the chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Yeah, it probably was a lot. Like, because you were pushing that stuff on newspapers, picking up yeah. ink. Who knows what was in the ink? Yeah. And then we chewed on it. It's that. Yeah. <laughs> we won't get into a discussion of what all I've ate and what well, all. Because. Yeah, you've done a lot worse than me. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. That's pretty tame and mild. Yeah. Well, did you know on January 21st in 1677, the first medical publication in America was a pamphlet on smallpox published in Boston? Smallpox suck. Yeah. It looked icky. Yeah, and itchy. And in 1987, B.B. King donates his 7,000 record collection to University of Mississippi. B.B. King was awesome. 1994, Lorena Bobbitt found temporarily insane when she cut off her husband's penis. Oof. <laughs> I never heard that word so much in 
1994. Oh, that's all you can hear when you turn <laughs> Everybody on. Everybody was <laughs> throwing out their bobbit jukes oh, uh, everywhere. Yeah. Good times. Mm-hmm. And in 1959, we lost Carl Schweitzer. He was an American singer, child actor, and dog breeder. He was best known for his role as Alfalfa in the series of Our Gang. Oh, Alfalfa was great. He was. He was shot by an acquaintance in a dispute over money. He died at the age of 31. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It was like $50, if I remember right. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Suck to lose your life for 50 freaking dollars. Yeah, right. There was a whole story to that, I do believe. I don't remember it all. I just remember it was like $50. Hmm. But it was involved with dog and money. Wow. $50 just doesn't seem, I guess back then, a little more, worth a little more back then, but still not enough to shoot somebody over. Yeah. Crazy. Sad. If you have a personal haunted, spooky, or just plain weird story you would like to share with us, send it over to us at the Mr. Cemetery Show at gmail.com. There's a link in the show notes, so send us your stories today, and maybe your story will be read on the next episode. With all that said, it's time to turn over to some weird news. Farmers turn cow poo into cow power with batteries created from, you guessed it, cow crap. All right. A group of British farmers are turning cow poo into cow power in the form of double A size patteries. <laughs> the rechargeable patteries could be one of Britain's renewable energy solutions, as one kilogram of cow poo can produce 3.7 kilowatts of electricity. This is enough energy to power a vacuum cleaner for five hours or do three and a half hours ironing on batteries. Dairy cooperative Arla, Arli, or something. Okay. We don't need Nailed it. Fine. Perfect. <laughs> Which developed these batteries with battery expert GP Batteries claimed that energy created from waste of the single cow can power three households for a year. <laughs> As a result, its 460,000 herd can fuel an utterly amazing 1.2 million homes. Now, I looked for these batteries, and it's a bunch of shit because I can't find them anywhere. <laughs> and they need to put these on Amazon so I can prime these because I want to give people the morals most shittiest battery ever. Right? <laughs> right? It's, so they can't be found. I can't find them. I looked for hours yesterday. I guess they're still making them. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. They're just still in the process of... Yeah. I don't know. It, that's weird. <laughs> now, have you ever seen a battery explode? Because... I have, and if one of them explodes, I'm going to be pissed. Big, yeah. <laughs> Not happy. What is your batteries smell funny? <laughs> That's kind of what I was wondering. When you use them, batteries he- tend to heat up. Yeah. So, you're going to smell like a cow farm all day. I guess you get used to it after That's a while. It's a choice you got to make. <laughs> Saving the world's planet one gonna, battery at a sure, time. Sure, there's always a downside yeah. with all of, all of it. There's always a downside. I gotta go recharge my poo. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, for that matter, why don't I just save her own? <laughs> I don't give what my ideas. <laughs> the Mr. Cemetery Show will return after these messages. Are you in the spine-tingling crime stories? 
The Krista McKibben's Hatchet Man book is for you. It's a chilling tale set in the 1800s about one of America's earliest serial killers, whose disturbing crimes occurred in both Ohio and Maryland. The book also includes a full trial and confession as told by the Baltimore Sun. Hatchet Man by Krista McKibben is available on paperback and Kindle, only at Amazon.com. Too scared to sleep? Then get some coffee. Check out our haunting friends over at Sinister Coffee and Creamery. They have the perfect coffee to help you stay awake. Whether you're looking for whole beans, ground, or organic coffee pods, Sinister Coffee and Creamery has you covered. Their beans are prepared in small batches to ensure a gourmet roast that will have you screaming for more. Check them out at SinisterCoffeeandCreamery.com and use our special discount code CEMETERY10 to save 10% off your order. Again, that's SinisterCoffeeandCreamery.com. Use discount code CEMETERY10 to save 10% off your order. Do you like gothic home decor? Then check out Spooky Cookie's Estee Shop. Take a journey into the old haunted library with a book of spell soy wax melt. Or try the Lavender Skull Soy Candle, which is clean burning, ideal for people with allergies or respiratory issues. And there's so much more, from original spooky vinyl stickers to graveyard photography. So check out Spooky Cookie's Estee Shop today. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. Now, back to the Mr. Cemetery Show. And we're back. Join us over on Patreon and become a funeral friend and help support the podcast. With a funeral friend membership, you get access to premium and exclusive content, including videos and more that's not available anywhere else. You don't want to miss this out, so check it out now. Click the link in the show notes and sign up today. Whose turn is it today? What day is it? I don't know anymore. It's your turn. We're going to say it's your turn. Ladies first. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll get mine done and over with. How about that? Oh. Unless I say it's your turn again next week. Because you're old. You forget. Ah, I'll ah. still have mine done first. That's true. Dang it. (laughs) What do you got? Mine about the lost city of Atlantis. The cartoon? Not the cartoon. I like the cartoon. The cartoon is about the lost city of Atlantis, kind of. But I'm not talking about the cartoon. You should talk about the cartoon. I don't want to talk about the cartoon. Let's discuss the cartoon. You always want to discuss cartoons. <laughs> I'm not going to discuss the cartoon. Fine. Go ahead. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. The lost city of Atlantis was an ancient city said to have been built by Poseidon. With the earliest known accounts of this ancient city written by Plato who got the story from Solon, who was Plato's ancestor separated by six generations. Solon was born in Athens around 630 BC, who was an Athenian statesman, a lawmaker, and a poet. Plato describes Atlantis in his dialogues, Critias and Timaeus, as an island located in the Atlantic just beyond the Pillars of Hercules. Its center was surrounded by three rings of water, two of land, with the south part opening to the sea. He also said that the city was an advanced civilization, rich and prosperous with everything in abundance. Plato also described a catastrophic event that led to its complete destruction in a single day and night that caused the island to disappear into the sea. Most experts believe Plato's story of Atlantis is nothing more than a cautionary tale of a great civilization turning corrupt and that Atlantis never really existed. However, the same thing has been said about other lost cities that have since been found, such as the lost city of Troy and the lost city of Angkor. However, there are many people who have believed that Atlantis was a real city and people have searched for thousands of years. 
bringing many theories where it may be found. Most of the proposed sites are in or near the Mediterranean Sea because of the location of Egypt from where the story was allegedly derived. Other locations around the world have been considered possibilities for the location of Atlantis. Some of these locations include Turkey, the Black Sea, Indonesia, the Caribbean Sea, Morocco, and even Antarctica. Edgar Cayce, who was known as the Sleeping Prophet during the early 1900s, also spoke about Atlantis in over 700 of his readings. He claimed that the Atlanteans were well-versed in technology that was far superior to our own and that they harnessed the power of the quantum world. This included the use of crystals and sound waves for healing. They had elevators and connecting tunnels that were operated with compressed air and steam. They also used quartz crystal science to mine gold, copper, and silver from the earth. He said that the Atlanteans were adept at using silicone chips at levels unrivaled in the modern world, and they were familiar with the amplification power of crystals and laser technology and memory chips. Casey also said they made extensive use of mass mental telepathy, psychokinesis, and astral projection into fourth-dimensional consciousness. He said their destruction came in three stages, the first two mainly due to catastrophic Earth events brought on both naturally and by their own technology, with the final destruction being due to the disintegration of their culture through greed and lust. According to Casey, Atlantis's location stretches from the Gulf of Mexico to Gibraltar. Casey also referred to Bimini as being one of the mountaintops of ancient Atlantis. And while few would consider the island a mountain, 12,000 years ago it was one of the highest points on the vast land formation in the region. Bimini and Andros Island, lying about 100 miles to the east of Bimini, were a part of the same island in 10,000 BC. It should also be noted that a large stone wall was found underwater near these islands called the Bimini Wall that has been heavily debated on whether or not it was man-made or naturally made. You can find more about Edgar Cayce on edgarcasey.org and by doing a simple Google search, there are also loads of books and documentaries done about him. I'll probably be doing a segment myself on him in the future as well. Another more recent theory on the location of Atlantis, and in my opinion, has been the most intriguing that I have come across so far. And it says that the recaught structure, also known as the Eye of Africa, is where Atlantis once stood. I first discovered this theory through a YouTube channel known as Bright Insight, hosted by a guy named Jimmy. His channel has many videos that are mostly about ancient civilizations and sharing his thoughts and theories about them. If you think this idea might be far-fetched, you're not exactly alone. I did too, but it was this reason that I was compelled to watch, just to see why he thought that it was a good possibility, and I have to say he made a lot of very good points on, on his case. I believe he has done about three or four videos on this subject, and I encourage you to go watch. He goes into pretty good detail matching Plato's descriptions of Atlantis to the recock structure. He even found an old map of the area dating back to around 450 BC showing Atlantis possibly being in that area. Like it actually, this old map has the word Atlantis in that spot, yeah. but with a question mark on it. Huh. <laughs> um, but it also shows like a lot more water in that area too during that time. Yeah. He also uses current images and studies done on the structure itself to make his case. And wouldn't it be something if the fabled lost city of Atlantis has actually been sitting in plain sight this whole time? It probably is. It would not surprise me. It, I still say he made a really good case. Like he, the measurements match. Yeah, you showed me some of them videos and it's surprisingly dead on. Dead on what Plato said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've watched some other stuff on other locations, and it's like, eh, maybe. This is pretty close. Yeah. And the stuff, there's artifacts there that has been found 
Oh, really? Yeah, that would match up with like pretty something. There was something there. There's man-made artifacts. There's also um, whale bones in the middle of the desert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's a bunch of different things that shows that there was somebody was there, something was there. Yeah. So the thing you showed me was like how it had the the layers of the, the rings. Ra- yeah. Yeah. And they they matched. They like, measured the same. Yeah. Mm. It's very interesting. I think I think you made a good case whether or not it is water rises, water falls. I mean, I mean, I'm willing to be open minded enough to say yeah, it's probably could be a possibility, but I don't know. But yeah. it, that's the thing. That's yeah. That's kind of all of it. You don't know. No, I'm not gonna say that it is, but it's it's close. It's close to Plato's description yeah. of what Bright Insight presented. So, yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Definitely an interesting one. This is the story of Spring Hill Jack, the Terror of London. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum. In 1837, a businessman was walking through Barnes Common in southwest London on his way home at night. The pathway he was following was adjacent to a cemetery, and as he was walking past it, he heard a rustling noise coming from inside the cemetery walls. The area he was walking through was well known to be full of crime, so he quickened his pace, afraid he was going to be trailed by a thief. Suddenly, he saw a dark figure leap over the cemetery wall and land right in front of him. He was shocked at the sight of a man with a very unusual appearance. He was tall and thin, with glowing red eyes, and an unusual wide smile on his face. He was wearing a helmet and a dark cloak, and underneath it, there were tight-fitting white garment that resembled oilskin. The businessman ran away as fast as he could, all the while hearing strange, shrill laughter behind him. Next month, Mary Stevens was walking through a large park in South London on her way to Lavender Hill, where she worked as a servant when she too encountered Jack. Much like the first sightings, he leaped in front of her out of the darkness, while babbling with ringing laughter. This time, however, Jack grabbed the victim and attempted to sexually assault her, going as far as ripping her clothes off with sharp metal claws. Mary yelled for help, and Jack fled as soon as locals' villagers came to her aid. Several sightings of Spring Hill Jack followed, and many of them shared similar circumstances. He would usually target women walking alone at night, leaping in front of them, and sometimes even assaulting them. He was reported to have been able to jump as high as 10 feet, and a couple witnesses even said he could breathe blue fire. Okay. He had become somewhat of a celebrity in the area, and rumors of his exploits constantly filled the pages of the newspaper. The most terrifying encounter occurred to a young woman named Jane Alsop in 1833. It was a quarter to nine in a small village named Old Ford. Jane heard the bell outside her house ring and went to the door and answered it. She opened the door, just a crack and could vaguely make out a shoddy figure in the darkness. It looked like a tall man wearing a helmet and a cloak, but it was too dark to make out any of his features. She asked him what he wanted. I am a policeman, the strange voice said. For God's sake, bring me a light. We've caught Spring Hill Jack here in the lane. Jane ran for a candle and went outside. She handed it to him, and as the flame lit his face, she saw the man facing her was no policeman. The light illuminated the man's devilish features and his enlarged smile. There was no mistaking him for anyone else other than Spring Hill Jack himself. He was once again wearing that tight-fitting oilskin suit and strapped to his chest was a strange object resembling a lamp. Jane screamed in horror and attempted to run back into the house, but Jack grabbed her with his claws. He tore off pieces of her clothing and hair as she wrestled to the ground. He laughed all crazy-like and blue flames shot from his mouth and the girl struggled against him. 
hearing the noises outside, Jane's two older sisters, Mary and Sarah, ran outside to her aid. They were able to pry Jane from Jack's hands and somehow managed to drag her away. The rest of the family appeared outside and seemed to frighten Jack away because, you know, he ain't fucking with none of that shit. Okay. The attack of one Jane Alsop was reported in the Times later that week. The police apprehended a suspect named Thomas Milbank, who had reportedly been bragging about attacking Jane at the local pub. His coat and overalls had been found outside of Jane's house, and the candle he dropped was also recovered nearby. He was let go because Jane insisted the man who attacked her could breathe fire, and also said that Thomas did not match the physical description. Reports of Spring Hill Jack lingered for 60 years. Throughout this time, he was the subject of many plays and penny dreadfuls. It seems as though the public could not get enough of this mysterious man. But who was he really? A popular theory is that Spring Hill Jack was the alter ego of the third Marquess of Waterford, who was known for his irregular and often violent pranks, and who was in the area at the same time as the initial Jack sightings. He earned a nickname, the Mad Marquess, because he had a weird, wild behavior. An acquaintance accused the Marquess of being Spring Hill Jack in 1880, claiming that the young nobleman would amuse himself by jumping out at strangers at night and attempting to scare them. The more likely explanation is that Spring Hill Jack wasn't just one person, but instead a group of pranksters who used the public's fear to their advantage. The initial sightings could have easily inspired generations of copycats. But how do you explain the seemingly supernatural feat that Spring Hill Jack was said to accomplish? Bizarre theories said that he was an alien, or a time traveler, or even the devil himself have often been brought up when discussing him, but it's more likely his abilities were exaggerated by the witnesses. Yeah. Still, you can't help but wonder if it's possible that maybe there's something more to this story. The legend of Spring Hill Jack continued long after sighting stopped, and thanks to the author Alfred Burridge, now it's somewhere in there, he became sort of an anti-hero of the area. In the fictional story, Spring Hill Jack was the wealthy aristocrat with a secret underground lair, who would often don on a bat-like suit to fight crime. That might sound like a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to go there. Um, that's uh, my story of the Spring Hill Jack. It sounds like Jack the Ripper, kind of. Jack the Ripper mixed with a little Batman. Apparently a little Batman. Yeah. Kind of hung up on the blue flame breathing. I li- but didn't you say he had some kind of lamp looking? Had like a lamp sort of thing on his chest hanging. and he had a helmet. So maybe that's how he was doing the fire thing. Could maybe be. he was shooting flames out of that lamp. Could be. It's fucking with people. Yeah. Very well possibility. Maybe that's where the fire breathing came from. William Wallace was 100 feet tall and shot lightning out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's <know>? true. Yeah. <laughs> At least according to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Mr. Cemetery Show. Thanks for joining us here. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please check out all the links in the show notes and follow us over on Instagram at the Mr. Cemetery Show. Until next time, I'm Josh. And I'm Krista. Remember, kids, stay creepy. See ya! See ya!